Welcome to the OMR Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, and I am an editor at OMR. Today, we have a really cool episode for you. Nasty Gal and Girl Boss founder Sophia Amoruso joins our guest host, David Noel, from the Role Models Podcast. In today's pod, David and Sophia talk about building a personal brand, what Sophia learned from the failure of Nasty Gal, the challenges of switching from e-commerce to a media company, and what it's like living in the public eye as a self-proclaimed claimed introvert. It's the OMR podcast. Hey, and welcome uh, to the OMR podcast. Uh, this is a different voice that you're hearing today. Um, my name is David Noel. I typically host a different podcast called the Role Models Podcast. And this is a podcast where every two weeks we have candid conversations with inspiring women. And uh, usually Philip uh, is the uh, host on the OMR podcast, but he's busy right now. He's busy running a 40,000 people conference right now here in Hamburg where we are recording this uh, next episode of the OMR podcast. So thanks to Philip for organizing a conference uh, with 40,000 people. And thanks for inviting me to be the guest host on this podcast. We have an excited, exciting guest uh, joining us today who just got off stage, the main stage of the conference, uh, and spoke to about 40,000 people now. And this is Sophia Maruzzo. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks Hi. for having me. Sophia, you're known for uh, two things, uh, Nasty Gal and Girlboss Media. We'll jump into it. Um, and in the conversation you just had on stage with Philip, uh, you talked a little bit about personal brand. And this was something that I, I wanted to, to, to start off with, is the, the, the concept or the notion of a personal brand is something that is uh, fairly new, right? That hasn't been really around for so long, uh, even though there's been personality brands, uh, celebrities um, all the time. But now mm -hmm. with the emergence of social media and digital media, it is. it seems like it's taking a different, um, or it's taking, it's going to the next phase. So I was curious to know from you, can you unpack per personal brand a little bit? What is it? Why does it matter to have one? Does it matter to have one? And then how do you create one? I never... I never really meant to start a personal brand. I put myself on the cover of a book that also had the logo of my company on it. And so the th idea was that, oh my gosh, the Nasty Gal logo is going to be in every airport and bookstore in the country. And we're going to sell so many clothes. And the book actually didn't sell very many clothes. It sold a lot of books and it sold this story that has propelled me to where I am today. But it wasn't initially uh, an intentional thing. Um, was there a moment when you realized, oh, wait, I, I am also a personal brand or I need to have a personal brand and I need to start crafting it? I think people told me I needed to have a personal brand. And at the time when I wrote the book, I had this very kind of severe haircut and looked like, you know, looked like someone you could dress up as for Halloween in some way. And they say that the best brands or the best like celebrities or the best musicians are people you can dress up as on Halloween, like Michael Jackson or, uh, you know, who else? Michael Jackson. Um, and I think that's like a hard thing to do. I never want to be a caricature of myself. I think the best personal brands are probably a caricature in some way. And, uh, you can dress up as them on Halloween. And I just continue to evolve and 
you know, if the audience had their way, I'd probably have like a bob haircut and choppy bangs for the rest of my life. But um, I don't know. Um, what was your question? Sorry. How do you then? Uh, so is it is it? Do you d evolve that brand intentionally? And and what are some of the tips that you can maybe share on how you think about God, um, is it evolving your your personal brand? Is it intentional? It's not. I don't. It's kind of tough. I don't, it doesn't feel very intentional. There are things that I definitely create just for social media. And at this point, everybody, doesn't matter how many followers you have, has a personal brand. And it's kind of creepy, actually. But it's important uh, because whether you're applying for a job um, or going on a date with somebody, you know, people are going to look at your Instagram. They're going to look at your LinkedIn and they're going to look at your Instagram. And there's these versions of ourselves that we've edited for different parts of our lives and they're not integrated. You know, who one person, so who someone is on Instagram is not who they are on LinkedIn. And I think that's really strange that we're editing ourselves based on the platform and the inputs that we can, you know, create. And so on Instagram, you know, people have been like applauded for, and I have, for expressing vulnerability, but that vulnerability is still considered. So I don't know, you know, the people give a lot of credit to people for being authentic, but it's hard to say that there isn't something to gain from anything that you do on social media because you're getting po positive feedback and you may get negative feedback, but you wouldn't keep doing it if you didn't think it was important or building some kind of audience for you. I don't think anyone is that much of a masochist. So you, you mentioned vulnerability there. And um, I remember uh, seeing one of your Instagram stories where um, you you filmed yourself, and then you 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 introduced uh, in in the film. You said like, "Oh, this feels super weird to to film myself and to to talk to the camera that way." And um, it it do you identify more like in, as an introvert or as an extrovert? I'm very much an introvert. Yeah. How do you then um, combine this idea of introversion? Um, and uh, with with the with the idea also of of building out a personal brand and and it's a really presence, good presence. It's a really presence. good question. Um, I think being an introvert might make people a little bit more self aware, which holds you accountable. So if you're someone who spends a lot of time inside your head and that you end up with a Netflix series based on your life or people, lots of people following you on social media or whatever, um, it it like forces you to contemplate things maybe a little bit more. It's not to say that extroverts don't think, um, but they are out kind of moving and shaking and they're really like, they gain their energy from that. Um, it's a challenge, you know, to, to protect my energy because if I were to come to a conference, go on a podcast, uh, go talk to whoever wants to talk to me, that's like kind of following me and then like go to a dinner and then go to a party, I would be, I would be like wiped out and I would not feel like I was in control of my life. So the older I get, the more I make decisions about, I, the more surgical I am about the decisions that I make with my time. Um, but building a personal brand as an introvert is an easy thing to do digitally because you're behind a computer, you're behind a phone, you don't really have to learn how to socialize, which I think can be kind of dangerous for this generation that's coming up because they're so on their phones. Um, so I'm glad I, you know, have had like one foot in the era where we weren't all on our phones and I understood, you know, 
how to interact with people, but then also understand, you know, how to use digital platforms to to build brands and personal brands. So there's one thing that I that I really admire about you, um, and and we haven't met before, right? So it's the first time we we meet here, and. So I'm saying this with the perspective of, of uh, following you on social media and, and to read um, to read up on, on on your career and some of the things that you worked on. And there seems to be like a, a weightlessness to how you approach and uh, move through the world, right? And I think if I think, uh, think it even further, it almost feels like you appear as fearless. And um, I would love to talk a little bit about that and how you see it, because um, you know. And we'll talk more about uh, Nasty Gal and and uh, and the way it ended was not the way it was planned to end, no. right? And you've talked about this um, in the past. So that's what I found super interesting is that even though you went through such an experience, um, it's it it appears that you have emerged from it like weightless and uh, and and Thank fearless. You. Thank you. I mean, I feel really rooted in the purpose of what I'm doing. It feels so much more aligned with who I am than running a fashion company did, even though I loved that. And I do think Nasty Gal made a lot of women feel really confident. Um, the like weightlessness is like the best compliment I think I could ever get. And yeah, I've been through a lot. So in a six month period, I was on the cover of Forbes, got a divorce and went bankrupt. So it was like these highs and lows that were like biblical in proportion. Um, but at the end of the day, like I always have myself. So I've never, I've never been too attached to the things that I have. Like I'm very grateful for what I have, but I also know that I'd be fine living in an apartment and I don't need to own a house. I actually miss living in an apartment to a certain extent. Like it's nice to be in a cozier space um, and have like beautiful old windows and um, it's more secure in some ways. And I don't know. Um, Has the idea about apartments. <laughs> Sorry. Has the idea of success changed for you over time? So maybe, uh, maybe like the idea of you starting off your career what yeah. was your idea of a job or a career and how has that changed I now after going i had no idea what career meant when i started my last company i'd only had retail jobs and my last job was working in the lobby of an art school checking ids uh so i never had used my head at a job before and i didn't really want to i was like if i'm gonna get paid to be someplace i just want to like you know screw off or not use my you know i thought that was like the best way about life and that got really boring and it wasn't a conscious decision to you know found a company um but i you know followed my nose and and it took me really far after a few years into my business i nasty gal i saw these magazines i started buying these business magazines and there was the ink 30 under 30 and the forbes 30 under 30 30 and the Inc. 500 and the Fortune 40 under 40 and the Vanity Fair new establishment list. And I thought if I can make it onto those lists, then I'm definitely like winning and doing something right. And I made it onto all of those lists, but it didn't really change my life. I made it on the fucking cover of Forbes. Like that's cool. That's great for building your personal brand. It's going to be awesome to look at when I'm six, 70 years old. You know, it's going to be cool if I ever have kids for them to look at. But it didn't really change who I am. Uh, it, I'm no more a whole person because of that happening. And especially with the way things ended at Nasty Gal, it's kind of forced me to 
you know, rethink the way I think about success and the, and my motivations for doing things. Cause your motivation should never be to wind up on a list. And everybody who winds up on the Forbes 30 under 30 is like, you know, it's in their Instagram bio and it's like a big, it's a big deal. And it means you're definitely on your way, but I think it, it can be something that deludes you and can like lead you to the wrong places if that's your goal. So what do you see people, um, so it sounds like like funneling your energy into somehow ending up on the Forbes cover is something that, um, that people do, but after it happens, it doesn't seem like it changed your life so much. How, how, where do you see people, maybe waste is the, is the wrong word, but where do you see people misallocating energy um, now having gone through this journey of building two companies, um, where, do you, where do you typically see people misallocate energy and what do you advise you have for, for them to, to channel the energy on something else? I mean, I think, I think, you know, having too much success too early can make you very spoiled. And when I bought my first car, it was a Nissan and I was a, I was a few years into running nasty out and buying that Nissan was 10 times more exciting than buying a Porsche or a Range Rover. Like it was, it, I'll never experience that again. Why? Just the feeling of pride and having like saved money and putting money down. And like, I just thought the thing was like so beautiful. And, you know, once I was exposed to like nicer things or, you know, it's like I eat oysters now, like they're, like crackers. I don't, but you know, it's, it's just like, it's not as exciting, even though like, you know, I have a great life and do drive a Range Rover. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's, it doesn't get like any better than the first time you achieve something. That's really exciting. Um, Talk a little bit about Nasty Gal. You, you mentioned is already on the stage and, and I think this is a, uh, an exciting story to, to, to talk about because over the over 10 years you built Nastigal out of like a, a small eBay store to an e-commerce powerhouse that at some point was making 100 million dollars in revenues and with insane growth at some point and then it ended a different way it should end and maybe as a backdrop for this for this this um, this topic is that and that maybe it's the same in the US but in Germany and in Europe there's all of this talk around digital transformation, what does it mean for legacy industries, what does it mean for companies and legacy companies in those industries. And so, and then when you talk to companies, they're like, we need to change the way our culture works so we can uh, adapt to the to the changing and, and the speed of, of technology. And part of that culture is, especially rooted in Germany, is still an aversion to risk. And it's a fear of failure. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, you you bump into people like we're not even going to try to change because we're so scared that a change is not going to materialize into something that we define as success. So you having having gone through the experience with Nasty Gal, and then now almost like getting up, writing a book, producing a TV show, and then and then founding Girlboss Media. How do you think about failure, and what advice do you share with people who are a bit paralyzed by? the fear of failing and not even initiating change because it might not uh, work out. I just feel like there's, there's very little to lose. I mean, 
gosh. I mean, that's that's hard to say. It's harder to say every year I get older is that there's little to lose, but you have much more to lose if you don't take risks. And everything great that's ever happened to me, every huge lesson I've ever learned has been because I took risks. And I'm actually really bored when I'm not taking risks. And I have to be careful of that because I can make very rash decisions that are really big decisions. Um, and that can distract a company, it can distract myself. Um, but I'd say, you know, it's way more stressful to be in fear or anticipate something than it is to actually do something difficult. Um, I spend a lot of time in my head. I am an introvert. I psych myself out on things and I think it's going to be so difficult. And then when I'm doing it, it's like, oh, it's like so easy. And so I think getting out of your head is a big part of just escaping fear and just doing things like you can, you can do yourself out of like anything as long as you keep moving. And I think it's when people stop moving that the real danger happens and where you lose momentum. And there's always something, there's always something great to make out of something not great. How did you use that time after Nasty Girl to, uh, so you, you went straight into writing a book? or No, I wrote it? the book four years ago. And Nasty Gal ended in late 2016. So the book was 2014. Uh, Nasty Gal ended in late 2016. I had already started the podcast, which was just, you know, it was a few hours out of my week. But Girl Boss was not my focus. Um, but Girl Boss had grown just organically through the book being a bestseller in the U.S. It was a bestseller in Germany, actually. Um, and I saw this, like, moment that was really a really important time for women. Um, it's a great brand that like the community was built before the business was built and business is still very new, but people continued to use Girlboss as a hashtag. It's been used 10 million times on Instagram. Um, you know, so it sounds like, like Nasiga was, was ending, but at the same time, there was already something there, there that is, you can build on. There, so you, yeah. there wasn't like a, an empty, an empty phase or there was no break at all i just got up and kept going um but i was excited how, how do you do that i mean getting up and it sounds like what else do you do take a year off like i can't well, i don't know i don't know what people to people it depends know. what people people do different things after after something like that but it sounds it sounds like you had something going there with with uh with girl boss which well, was you don't go bankrupt overnight so yeah. it was not like a surprise yeah. It was like two years of layoffs and loans and just like difficult times and deals falling through after deal falling through. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm savvy, you know, I've got, I'm 30, I was 31, 32, you know, I have my life ahead of me as much as everyone, you know, wants to think that I like don't need to work for the rest of my life because I wound up in Forbes magazine. That's not the case. So I like have the rest of my life to pay for. And there are opportunities and windows for those opportunities that, that exist only within a finite period of time. You lose opportunities if you don't move fast enough. And, yeah, and um, you don't appear as someone who doesn't want to work. I don't know what I do. I don't like I'm, I've been so much happier working a lot than I was wondering what I was going to do with my life, you know, and that's like just getting out of that. So what changed, is like half of getting there. You mentioned earlier that, that the idea of a career was not something that, um, there was something concrete for you at the time that you wanted to check ideas in the, in an art museum. 
but now it sounds like like you you really have d developed a drive to 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 build out these companies and and now focusing on on girls. What has changed over that time? I mean, I think I always had a penchant for finding things or curating things. I'm a producer. I'm really a producer at the end of the day. And I like finding products or finding a narrative that's going to resonate with people or naming a book or naming a business or curating people and building a team that are going to work really well together. And I don't think I really understood how I, how you could do that until I started an, a store, a eBay store. And, you know, we're in an era where everybody has access to the same tools that I did building that business, more tools, Squarespace didn't exist, Etsy didn't exist, Shopify didn't exist. So you see so much more happening digitally now. Um, yeah. And today to talk about Girlboss uh, now, so it's girlboss.com is a series of uh, editorial, there's uh, three or four podcasts, there's mm -hmm. um, there was a book, there's a there's the TV series, there's uh, conferences and events. Take us take us to the the genesis um, of of Girlboss and and where where do you see it go? What's what do you envision? Where, where is it going? Yeah. So last year in March of 2017, we did our first conference called the Girlboss Rally, and we're about to do our third now on April 28th in Los Angeles. Something I'd love to bring to Europe at some point. And women from Europe flew themselves in. Women from 15 countries flew themselves in for the first two events. Um, and we create content. We do podcasts. We have a podcast network. We're talking to her everywhere that she is. But at the end of the day, it's our goal to create a conversation that allows our audience, our community to redefine what success means for herself. Um, we, we grew up in an era where success meant you know, career success and success meant financial success. And those things are great. It's not that we don't want those things. We need those things to think about the other things that make us feel successful in our personal lives, spiritually, with our families. Um, and so we want to bring her the tools in a very holistic way to think about what that means for her. And we don't have like a dogmatic kind of like, if you do these things, this will happen to you. We just want to be like the, the steward of that conversation and so we yeah we do that in a variety of ways um, I have a podcast we have a self-care podcast called self-service um, mine's called girl boss radio and I've been doing that for a couple years now and I've had you know Sarah Jessica Parker and Charlize Theron on the show and um, our self-care podcast has like astrology for the week and like uh, like guided meditations and it's it's pretty cool um, but where that goes you know as far as building a media business or marketing is concerned is as long as we're having that conversation and she's engaging with it, we're going to follow the audience and we're also going to try to convert her where we want her to be. But it's always kind of a dance of, you know, talking to people where they are and bringing them to where you want them to be and, um, and driving, driving yeah. the funnel, yeah. I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Going from nasty gal to girl bosses to switch from going e-commerce to to a media company on the business side of things, what are some of the things that you're taking from your experience of building and losing nasty gal to yeah. uh, girl boss media? It is like a dream to work with the best brands in the world. So Google's our largest client. We worked with in our first year. We're a year in. We've worked with Pinterest, Cadillac, L'Oreal, American American Express, uh, and 
you know, all the years at Nasty Gal, at a certain point, our marketing dollars all went into uh, performance marketing. It was all retargeting, email marketing, it was all digital marketing. And I love building a brand. And the, the, that type of marketing, performance marketing, is so mechanical and can be really uninspiring that for us to be able to activate in ways that we're excited to and create value for our audience, for the the clients we work with and for ourselves is like a dream come true. It's a win-win-win. And so, and brands increasingly want to have meaningful, uh, you know, connections uh, and build community and have people try their products and, you know, have an appetite for innovation, as Scott Galloway said in his talk earlier today. Uh, And that's something that we want to be their partner uh, to do. So when you think about uh, performance marketing, and we are recording this, um, you know, on an online marketing conference, Mm -hmm. um, and and your desire to also think about brands, it sounds like both are somehow, and there's a tension between focusing on performance marketing and also on brand brand building. What do you think is a healthy balance uh, in terms of allocating your resources or your budget or your time? Yeah, I think it's tough. I think on the digital side, having a, hiring people who have a healthy mix of left and right brain is really important because it can be like people speaking two different languages when you have a creative team talking to someone who has no idea like they could be selling a widget you know um so digital marketers really have to spend time understanding the brands that they work with and those brands have to create those objective guidelines to educate their their company on what we're here to do what we do and don't do uh so people can be enabled to make decisions about what's right for the brand and not feel like everything they do needs to be performed or approved by, you know, the marketing, you know, the brand creative team or vice versa. Um, But I'd say, you know, and I'm not knocking digital marketing because a lot of what we do is digital and we created some custom courses with Google and we're doing a custom podcast with Sephora collection called Lip Stories. Um, and so all of that is digital and the number of eyeballs, the number of people listening and engaging is always going to be important. Uh, but creating authentic experiences and conversations and not just slapping a logo on something or serving an ad that is uninspiring I th- is a way of the past. Even though so many dollars are going into these platforms, there's still plenty left over for the people that want to be creative with those dollars. How do you see um, numbers, right? Volume. Are people are attracted to big numbers. You know, you have the six hundred thousand uh, followers on on, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, like uh, millions of page impressions or visits, whatever. And, and, and then you bring in that element of saying, like, we want to have meaningful conversations. We want to have um, dialogue. We want to, uh, you know, um, focus more on quality. How do you reconcile the idea of this, like, thriving for the big number and seeing that a healthy growth rate month on month with the patience of uh, having thoughtful conversations um, around the brand so that becomes less transactional. Our audience wants meaningful content. They're coming to us to solve problems. She's not coming to us passively. She knows what she's clicking on when she comes to Girlboss. And I think that's very different from some of these other platforms who are very agnostic and could be anywhere. The power of brands 
shouldn't be underestimated. BuzzFeed and Jonah learned that they had to create Tasty to have a brand because BuzzFeed wasn't a brand. And now Tasty has a whole line of goods at Walmart, I think. Uh, And so how we transact as a brand, yes, we work with other brands, uh, but there's ways for us to, um, to build to build revenue in so many different areas because Girl Boss is such a powerful brand. When you look at your mix of, of media types that you that you focus on with Girl Boss, um, the podcast, editorial um, conferences, events, etc., where do you where do you currently invest most? Where do you see those media types evolve, or where do you want to dial up your investment? Podcasts mm-hmm. are big. Um, Podcasts are an area that brands are interested in investing for custom content. What attracts them to podcasting? I mean, you have people's attention. Like, we're in somebody's head right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no more engaged that someone can be. You can't be passively listening to a podcast. I can't send an email and listen to a podcast. I'll, like, my brain will get confused. But I can tap through Instagram and have a conversation, right? Um, it's like single-tasking activity, you're right? You're literally in somebody's head. Um, and I don't think it gets more personal than that. Um, so podcasts and then there's a B2B play. And I don't think we're going to be there anytime super soon. But companies want to find ways to recruit women to build cultures that uh you know speak to women and give them a great place to work um they want to understand how to have more diversity in the workforce so what that looks like i don't know but there's definitely an opportunity to to build content and experiences for more than just our end consumer community um There's, it's possible to do that for brands in a way that's less visible on the public side, I guess. Cool. We're moving into the last segment of the, of the podcast. Three, three short questions. Uh, and feel free to answer how long you want. <laughs> the one is, um, if you could recommend to young people uh, early in a career, first, second, third job, three foundational skills that um, they should acquire and develop early on in their career, but that can be ported from one job to the next, regardless of the industry or job mm-hmm. depth, what would you say? I would say get fired. Get fired by a company. Go like make mistakes. Go throw yourself at as much as you can possibly learn. And you're going to find yourself in places that you don't belong but you're going to learn things from those experiences. It's, I think, through that kind of cross-training that, you know, you, we do different kinds of weights for our body to, we do different kinds of weights for our bodies to, you know, stay fit. We have to, you know, v- vary certain things to optimize them. And if you go to college, get a job and keep that job for five years, you're going to have a really different experience than if you just get out into the world and, and figure it out. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go to college, but as soon as you're done with college, like go have some like rich experiences, like go mess up, um, go find yourself in places that you're not happy. Um, and that'll, that'll lead you to where you need to be. What's a question that nobody asks you that you would love to be asked? I guess like, and I don't want to answer it because I can't, don't have an answer for it, but what do, you, what do you want your legacy to be? I don't think people think about legacy, but I've like 
made a stamp on the world that it doesn't matter what happens next like that happened and that's really cool um so in some ways like i feel kind of immortal i guess which sounds like super cocky and like weird but um if you're able to do things that future generations or you know your kids and grandkids can look at and be like whoa look isn't that crazy you know it's like then then you're you're probably making good decisions public speaking you just got off a stage talking to 40,000 people as an introvert as someone who identifies as an introvert what tips can you share with people who also identify as um as introverts and of going on stage and sharing their story and talking about their business talking about their personal story some of the things they've learned i'm still not a great public speaker i did an, an inter interview on stage because i still can't stand up and talk for 30 minutes after 10 years of speaking at like every conference i always do interviews and maybe i'm just lazy um i think it's really dangerous to look at the audience because people's resting faces are usually just like they look very bored but it doesn't mean they're not happy with what's going on they're just like listening and some some of them look really dissatisfied but that's just their face so looking out into the audience can sometimes people say to look at the audience but if you do you're supposed to just look at one person and focus on them i think it's yeah, your friendly kind of scary if you look at a bunch of people um what else i drink lots of coffee before i go on a stage And, you know, people want, and this is something I can do better at, they want advice that they can take away. So you can go tell your story all day long, but if you can't relate it to the people in the room and tailor it to the people in the room, it's not going to land as well. Something that you're learning right now that you're not good at yet, but want to get better at? Mm. Uh, being a leader, building a great culture, having a happy team. I didn't do that in my last company. What makes a good leader? Oh, God. Um, I think someone who's like self-aware, but also institutionalizes the things that their team needs to be successful and sets by wins like for everything. Like these, these are our goals. This is our North Star. This is what the year looks like. This is what it looks like for you to be successful in your role. This is the jobs of the people around you. Um, and you, you know, go have a one-on-one -on -one. whenever anybody starts working at Girl Boss. And we've had a lot of people start in the last year, pretty much everybody. Uh, they go on a tour and they talk to everybody in the company. And that's something that I think fosters a lot, a lot of um, just a lot of, I don't know, compassion and patience among the team uh, so that people aren't competing and um, understand the constraints and challenges of someone else's role. But I think the largest thing that a leader has to do and something I've shied away from as an introvert and something I delegated to COOs and CEOs is proselytizing the vision. Um, and uh, people need to hear it over and over and over again. It's not common sense that you have to say the same thing over and over and over again, but people get lost in the day-to-day -day of their jobs and staring at a spreadsheet or, I mean, hopefully no one's just staring at a spreadsheet in our company. We 
try to have people, I mean, you can be creative in a spreadsheet, you can analyze things, right? But it doesn't matter who you are. I have to read like uninspiring ads on my podcast. Sometimes you're going to find those moments where you're like, what am I doing? And hearing that is really important for people hearing what you're marching toward, and why it's important for the rest of the world, which is not a hard thing to do at Girlboss. Um, it's really important. And uh, so this is a great answer, I think, on leadership. And you also mentioned uh, building a culture as a company now, and I think it's about 20 people now mm -hmm. at, uh, at Girlboss. Um, how do you think about um, about cr uh, cr intentionally creating a, a, a culture? So the um, the components of a healthy culture um, that you envision for Growboss, what would you, what what are you focusing on there? Well, all the things that I just listed. Um, you know, we have we had a culture meeting. We have processes that are, you know written down, you know, for a company in its first year, we have, you know, timelines and documents for, you know, reviews and goal setting. Um, and, you know, when someone joins the company, it's like joining a much larger company because we, I want to be able to provide that for people. I don't think as a company called Girlboss, we could get away with not, you know, not building a great culture and not onboarding people to feel like they're set up for success in their role. The last question we ask, uh, it's, uh, especially on the on the role models podcast, in this in this case, um, that we ask every guest on the podcast and also at our events that we host every month, is what is the best piece of advice you would give to your 14 year old self? Stop picking your zits. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, what else? What is the story behind that? Oh, I just like I probably like picked my face a lot uh 14 Ugh, that is a rough age and 14 is maybe more of a metaphor as the you okay know, the early <laughs> the early uh um i'd say just like trust your gut you know i i i always thought I was smart, but I never wound up in smart places until I started an eBay store, which still doesn't even sound that smart. Um, so just follow your nose and, and trust your instincts because they're usually right. How do you counteract the mind uh, in favor for the gut, following the gut? How do you balance that? That's tough. I've tweeted once that I don't know the difference between my intuition and my anxiety because anxiety can make you think that you're on to something, but it's actually just your brain like chattering unnecessarily. Um, that's a tough thing. And I still constantly adv ask advice of people around me. I have a gut and then I like to verify it. And there's still going to be times where I move in a totally different direction than the advice that I've gotten. But I have a great community of you know, business leaders and investors around me that I feel really, really lucky to have. Um, and so I lean on them a lot to make sure my gut isn't just totally off. Do you have a role model? Oprah. Great yeah. answer. Yeah. <laughs> Sophia, thank you so much for joining us Thanks for on the podcast, me. OMR and uh, role models. The first time we ever knew this. Um, so thanks for your time. Thank you. And uh, have fun in Germany. Thank you. Buzz.